Thanks for listening to the weekly teaching podcast for City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is our desire to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you live here in Knoxville or are ever visiting the area, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. You can find out more at citychurchknox.com. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people in our city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. How we doing? Good to see y'all. Uh, my name is Kent, and believe it or not, I'm a teaching pastor here. Uh, I say believe it or not because I have not doing, I've not been doing that at all over the past seven weeks, and so uh, it feels good and weird to be back up here. Um, in fact, we've had people start coming around our church and stay around our church just in the seven weeks that I have not been teaching. Uh, Jeff, one of our other pastors, uh, the other day was talking to, I think, a new person or a new family. He was just asking them if they had met some of our pastors, uh, and he was like, have you all met Kent? And this person said, oh, is he the announcement guy? (laughs) Which is awesome. And I'm actively seeing if we can change my job description on our website to Kent the announcement guy. I just think that would be great. Um, The reason I haven't been up here teaching lately is because our church was kind enough to give me what we called a teaching sabbatical uh, over the past seven weeks. Basically, uh, for seven weeks, I just had nothing to do with preparing or giving teachings up here on Sundays, which is crazy because giving teachings is somewhere around half of my job here at City Church. Um, But as I mentioned to a lot of y'all back in April, uh, teaching up here can kind of be a weird thing. Uh, It can be a hazardous job, uh, so to speak, uh, because when you do this for a living, uh, it's really easy to start focusing more on saying things to people about Jesus than letting Jesus speak to you uh, personally. It's just a really easy priority to get out of place. Um, And so I've been spending the last seven weeks just making sure I don't have that priority out of whack in my own life. Uh, It has been really, really good. Uh, like I said, but also really, really weird. Um, Good, because I think it has allowed me to kind of remove that rolling Sunday deadline um, for most every week. Uh, Just helps take excuses away for sitting with God and hearing from God. Um, But it's also been weird uh, because, as those of you who know me super well probably are already aware of, uh, I love productivity. Um, I'm type one on the Enneagram, if you know what that is. So I love improving things and making things better and working on things and perfecting things. And I realize that whole sentence to some of you just sounds exhausting. Like that's the most exhausting sentence I've ever heard. Uh, But that's just kind of how my personality works. That's kind of how I gravitate towards getting work done. Um, So not having about half of my job to do for seven weeks is a very weird feeling. And it, it took some getting used to. Um, in a lot of different ways. I specifically remember going for a walk uh, one of the first mornings of my sabbatical, which I'm embarrassed to say is like a fairly new thing for me, but I heard somebody say that going for a walk is like a good way to slow down your pace of life and be more present in the moment. So I was like, whatever, I'll go for a walk. Definitely don't want to go for a run, so let's do a walk. Um, And so uh, I I went to a park, uh, Lakeshore Park, if you've ever been there, just beautiful park here in Knoxville. I was going for a walk, and I kid you not, five minutes into my walk, I looked down at my feet, and I was speed walking. 
Like, I was just like one notch below a jog, really. And I was like, I don't know what I'm in a hurry to do. I have no sermon to write. I have nothing to get done today. But in my head, it was like, I got to hurry up and get this relaxing walk out of the way so I can get work done. Like I, and, and so it just took some time for me. I think it probably was about a two to three week just adjustment period of like just learning to slow my pace down, um, just my general pace of life. I still feel like I'm trying to learn that. Seven weeks ended up feeling like not very long at all. Um, but I feel like uh, it was really, really good for my soul. It, it put me in a better place coming back out of it. And uh, really, I can't wait to share just over the coming months and years some of the stuff I feel like God uh, taught me. Um, but I'm still processing a lot of that. And so I, I wanted to be careful not to go ahead and share that uh, this morning. But uh, surely it'll kind of eke out in how we teach over the coming years. And so uh, more than anything, I just wanted to say before we get started this morning, uh, thank y'all for being a church that understands that. Uh, thank y'all for being the type of church that uh, knows the health of your pastor's soul uh, is as important as what he says on stage. Uh, I, I really appreciate that about y'all. There was literally nobody that was like, okay, so you're just not doing work for seven weeks. Like, what are you doing? You're just going on vacation? You're going to the beach? Like, what? Nobody had that attitude towards it. Everybody said, hey, thank you for prioritizing your health and making sure you're in a good place. And man, it just makes me thankful to be a part of a church family like this. So thank you all so much for that. Um, I also wanted to just publicly thank uh, the rest of our uh, pastors and, and pastor in training for uh, doing this David series. Hasn't the David series been fantastic? Um, yeah. So our uh, Jeff, Marcus, and Eric uh, kind of just headed that up over the past seven weeks, our series through the life of David. Um, did a phenomenal job with it. They took on teaching responsibilities over and on top of full-time jobs that they already had. Marcus has a full-time job that has nothing to do with City Church. It's at the University of Tennessee. And so he just, all of them took on so much additional responsibility. I'm incredibly grateful for them taking that on so that I could have that time to sit and be with Jesus. So if you don't mind, can, can we thank them for that work over the past seven weeks? So um, moments like this and seasons like this make me really thankful, and we're going to get into this more here in just a bit, but make me really thankful that our church is not built around me or my gift sets or my personality, but rather is built, like we said earlier, on the foundation of Jesus, and then that we have a team of people that lead our church to serve and equip all of us together. So I've been really, really grateful for that. All of that said, though, I am really excited to be back up here on Sundays. I love what I get to do. Uh, I want to do it for a very long time, God willing, um, but I am pumped to be back and jumping into a new series with all of us this morning uh, that we have just called Vision Series. I told you guys I really didn't work on anything during my break. I didn't even come up with a title for the series. It's just called Vision Series. Uh, I didn't have any better ideas than that in the past week since I got back. So that's what you get. Vision Series. Uh, it is called that, though, because that's exactly what we're walking through over the next three weeks is the vision of who we feel called to be as a church family. What are the things, the core things that make City Church who we are? What are the things we feel like God has called us to be as a church family? We're just going to dive into all of that for the next three weeks as a church, which means uh, if you've started coming around our church super recently, if you think I'm the announcement guy, 
for instance, uh, you have picked a great time to join us uh, during this series because you are about to hear us just shoot straight for the next three weeks about who we are. Uh, you're about to find out really quickly whether you're up for who we are or whether you're not interested in it. You can decide that really fast because we're just going to unpack it for the next three weeks, whether or not you feel called to be who we feel called to be. Um, if you've been around for a little bit longer, maybe a couple months, two or three months, something like that, I, I think this series will go a long way towards explaining why we do some of the things that we do. Uh, if you've been coming around, you may have noticed some things that feel different to you or feel unusual to you from church world or your experience in it. Uh, hopefully, this series will explain a lot of those things. It'll kind of explain the why behind the what, so to speak. Um, so this series should help with some of that. Lastly, if you've been coming around our church for a while, uh, no doubt parts of this series uh, will feel very familiar to you. They might feel like review, which is fine. Nothing wrong with a little review every once in a while. But we are also going to be sharing some stuff each week about um, where we feel like God has called us to lean in and grow and grow together over the next months and, and several years. Um, so hopefully that will be helpful for all of us. But for the next three weeks, we're just going to talk about our vision here at City Church, if that's all right with you guys. Again, I always say that, but I have nothing else planned. So that's pretty much what we're going to do, uh, unless the Lord says otherwise. Uh, maybe not the most provocative series that we've ever done, uh, but I think a really, really important one for us nonetheless. So if you don't mind, I'd love to pray for us, and then we're going to dive in to today's. Father, thank you for the men and women in this room. God, thank you for um, just their understanding. Um, God, thank you that, um, that they're not just people that I lead, but they are my family that I get to walk through life with. Thank you that they um, have just been a tremendous encouragement and support to uh, me and to my family um, during these past seven weeks and always. Um, so God, as we gather this morning, as we always do around the scriptures and what they teach about you and about us and about life in your kingdom, God, we want to ask that your spirit would come and would teach us. So God, the words I have written down are just words on a page. At the end of the day, the book that we're reading from is just a book unless the spirit of God comes and moves and teaches us through it. And so, God, we want to ask that he would come and that you would do exactly that in our time together. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right, so we'll start here. If you go to our website, citychurchnox.com, you click the word about and then the word vision. At the top of that page in big block letters, it says we are a Jesus-centered family on mission. We are a Jesus-centered family on mission. From the day that we set foot here in Knoxville to start this church, that is who we have always felt called to be. And that statement isn't unique to us, not at all. We stole it from the church that we came from in South Carolina. They probably stole it from somebody else. Ultimately, we all stole it from the Bible. So it's nothing unique or innovative at all. But we do think that statement does a pretty good job at summarizing at a glance who we feel called to be together as a church family. So each week during the series, we're going to take an aspect of that vision statement, Jesus-centered family on mission, and we're going to drill down into what it means, what it means to be Jesus-centered, what it means to be family, what it means to be on mission. 
So this week, we are going to talk about what it means to be Jesus-centered. What does it mean for a church to be a Jesus-centered church? How does that shape many of the things that we do, the things that we don't do, and the things that we want to become? I've got just three things I want to lay out for you from the scriptures, and then we'll get really personal with it at the end, and that'll be fun for all of us. But there are at least three things I think that are important to talk about when it comes to what it means to being Jesus-centered. We're going to start with one that's really specific and maybe even technical in nature, but it's really important to how we function. First, being Jesus-centered means that Jesus is our lead pastor. Jesus is our lead pastor. So I get this from a passage in 1 Peter 5. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, you're welcome to. We'll also have it up on the screen. 1 Peter 5, starting in verse 1, says this. To the elders, in other words, the appointed leaders that oversee that church, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and as a witness to Christ's sufferings who also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over to those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the, and I want you to notice this next sentence right here, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So that word shepherd that is used throughout that passage is the same Greek word as the word pastor. Pastor and shepherd are the same word in the New Testament. And here it calls Jesus the, quote, chief shepherd there in that final verse. In other words, Jesus is the lead pastor. Now here's why I bring that up. If you go to the leadership page of our website, you might notice that no one person on that page has the title lead pastor or senior pastor. That's intentional. None of us are the lead pastor of City Church because Jesus is. And that might sound cheesy to you or like it's just semantics, but it's really not. Functionally, there is no one person on our staff here that gets to call all of the shots for our church. There is no one who gets to tell everybody else what to do and isn't accountable to anybody else for their decisions. We have no lead or senior pastor. We all have areas of ministry that we're responsible for on our staff, but no one person sits above everybody else. We don't function that way. The only person that gets final say and gets to sit in authority above everybody else on our staff and in our church is Jesus and the things that he says about how a church should function. Now, real, real specifically here, that's not to say that any church that does have a lead pastor is automatically wrong or evil or unhealthy. Just like we aren't automatically a healthy church just because we don't have a lead pastor. Health and unhealth in a church is way more complicated than that, I've learned. A lot of my good friends serve as lead and senior pastors on their staff. But I do think that words matter. And we know that if we were to call one of us the lead pastor here at City Church, it would at least give credence to the idea that that person gets the final say on everything else that happens in our church. And we just don't think that's a healthy way to lead a church. And more than that, in the scriptures, you'll notice that you never see a lead pastor or senior pastor mentioned at any of the New Testament churches, not once. 
Anytime you see the word elder, the name for leaders of a local church in the Bible, it is plural. Not elder, but elders. There are multiple leaders overseeing the church. That is a biblical pattern that we feel called to follow here at City Church. So here we have multiple leaders that serve and make decisions together for the good of our church. We have three going on four elders right now. We have a staff made up of men and women. We even have additional teams that help our elders oversee various aspects of our church. So when we make financial decisions, we have a financial advisory team that speaks in and votes on many of those decisions. When we make decisions about how to train and equip our life groups, we have a groups team that speaks into that decision as as well. When we craft teachings to give up here on Sundays, we have a teaching team that reviews and comments on every single idea in a teaching that gets delivered. We think God designed leaders to function in what's called plurality, multiple leaders serving the church together. We think that is the biblical pattern of leadership we see in the New Testament. Now, all of this matters a lot to us as a church for several reasons. One, as we just mentioned, we believe it's a biblical pattern. Uh, two, it's just wise. So there are so many places in the book of Proverbs, for instance, that basically say, if you make decisions on your own without consulting other people, you're a fool and your plans will often fail. Proverbs is a very blunt, direct book, if you've never read it. Plenty of things to learn from in that book. But it says often, if you don't take other people's wisdom into account when making decisions, it says you're being foolish and your plans are likely to fail. But it says there is wisdom in what it calls the abundance of counselors, multiple people who speak into a decision together. That's something we should all model. And so we want to model it as leadership as well. Three, uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that every other month there is a story in the news about a lead or a senior pastor who abused or misused their authority to horrendous ends. Again, not saying that having a lead pastor automatically leads to those things, but it certainly can create an environment where those things can happen more easily. We've seen it play out over and over again in our society. Even in our first Peter passage that we just read, it draws a straight line from the idea of Jesus being our chief shepherd to his encouragement to the local elders about not lording authority over people, not misusing and abusing their authority. I don't think that's a coincidence at all that those two ideas are linked in this passage. A team leadership structure at least helps prevent that sort of thing from happening. And lastly, we lead together and submit to one another because we want to model that posture for our entire church family. One of the most dangerous places that a leader can find themselves in is when they tell the whole church to submit to them, but they themselves as the leader don't submit to anybody else. That is a disaster waiting to happen. So here at City Church, Jesus is our senior pastor and no one else is. That's one thing that it means. Again, super technical, super specific, but I feel like it's important. That's one thing that it means that we are Jesus-centered as a church. Second, and these will start to move into how we think about our life together. Second, being Jesus-centered means that Jesus is our authority. Jesus is our authority. We could obviously draw this one out of a number of different passages in the Bible or just 
the Bible as a whole, um, but Jesus is our authority. We're going to look at Colossians chapter 1. We'll put this up on the screen as well. It says this, the Son, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Notice this language specifically here at the end. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. There's obviously a lot in there. We've covered that passage a number of times before and, uh, and really been able to dive into it with more detail, but there's a lot we could draw out. One clear implication of that passage, though, is that Jesus rightly has the preeminence, the supremacy, and the authority over everything, but especially over his people, the church. At City Church, Jesus is our authority, which means he is the one that we appeal to. What Jesus thinks ultimately matters more than what I think, than what you think, than what Twitter thinks, than what CNN thinks, than what Fox News thinks, than what the government thinks. You name it, whatever it is and whoever it is, Jesus' opinion matters more and it matters most. So practically speaking, this means that when there is confusion or disagreement or frustration or conflict, we ask the question, what does Jesus say we should do here? How does he say that life works best? How does he say that we should respond in a moment like this? That is how we navigate those types of situations and every type of situation. And seeing things this way, seeing Jesus as our authority helps a ton when there is disagreement over less significant things. I remember the very early days of our church. There were two people specifically who were about as far apart on the political spectrum as two people could possibly be. I mean, they're just night and day different. And yet, they were really, really good friends. Like almost best friends. Like they thoroughly enjoyed one another's company. Now, they didn't sit around and hash through the upcoming election in most of their conversations, right? Because they knew there was disagreement there. They knew that they saw things differently. They approached it with wisdom because they knew there would be disagreement there. But they genuinely loved and cared for one another, despite significant differences in a number of different ways. And that's what can happen when Jesus is our authority. If we are all centered around Jesus, we can disagree over secondary things, even important secondary things. We might come across somebody else in our life group or in our church who is very, very different from us, who, who sees certain issues or holds certain convictions that we personally radically disagree with. But we can look at that other person and go, well, I don't know about that specific issue, but I can clearly see that that other person loves Jesus. And it doesn't appear that this one belief or conviction is keeping them from loving and following Jesus. And I don't see anything in the Bible that says it's specifically wrong. So I'll trust the Holy Spirit to work on their heart just like I trust the Holy Spirit to work on mine. Over time, with compassion and gentleness and understanding. This is what the Bible calls unity. Not a bunch of people that all look and act and talk and vote the same. That's uniformity. But unity. 
a, a group of people who have centered their very lives on Jesus and therefore can let secondary things be secondary things. Does that make sense? Okay, last up, before we get personal with some stuff, being Jesus-centered means Jesus is our mantra. Jesus is our mantra. So take a look with me just a little further down in Colossians chapter 1. We'll put this up on the screen as well. Paul says this in verse 28. He, which in context there is still talking about Jesus, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. So I'm going to give you a spoiler about what you're going to hear up here on Sundays pretty much every single week. I'm going to tell you what every sermon is about. It's pretty much the one thing that we say up here. We are trying to get one very simple, very basic message across to you. Ready for it? Sin is the problem. Jesus is the solution. That's the one message we're trying to get across every single week. Sin is the problem. Jesus is the solution. That's it. That's the secret sauce to every single teaching that we give. That's the one message that we're trying to get out. We are like a band with one hit song. We're like Vanilla Ice in the 80s and 90s. Ice, Ice Baby is all we've got. Like we just play it over and over and over again. I'd like to think that the gospel is a little bit better than Ice, Ice Baby, but you get the idea, right? We have one hit song. And we just play it over and over and over again. We want everyone who comes around to know sin is the problem, Jesus is the solution. Week in, week out, that's the message that we've got. Now, we do riff on that one song, right? So sometimes we talk about how rebellious sin is the problem. Things where we run as hard and as fast away from Jesus as we possibly can. That type of sin is the problem. Sometimes we talk about how religious sin is the problem, how we use self-righteousness and self-justification and pride to conceal our brokenness. Sometimes we talk about how individual sin is the problem. And then sometimes we talk about how societal, institutionalized sin is the problem, about how the sin of individual people sometimes becomes normalized and codified over time to create systems and structures that are sinful and need to be addressed. But still, in all of that, what we're saying is that sin is always the problem. When we say sin is the problem, we're not trying to minimize any of the significant issues going on in our world. Not at all. In fact, we're trying to show you just how much of creation sin has impacted and just how amazing it is that Jesus came to do something about all of that. And when it comes to how Jesus is the solution, there's a variety of different ways to articulate that message as well. So sometimes we highlight that Jesus is the solution because he forgives our sin. Sometimes it's that he cleanses us from the shame of our sin. Sometimes it's that he intercepts the judgment and wrath that is due our sins. Sometimes it's that he sets us free from sin's enslaving power over us. Sometimes it's that he reconciles people to himself and gives them the ability to combat the systemic brokenness in our world. So Jesus is the solution in a whole host of different ways, right? But Jesus is always the solution. So some of the overtones vary from week to week, but the core message is always the same here at City Church. Sin is always the problem. Jesus is always the solution. That's what we want you to know. 
And the same is true in our life group settings as well, in our interpersonal relationships outside of here on Sundays. The hope is that when you are struggling, when you are having a hard time, when you are hurting, whatever the situation might be, that we are reminding each other about Jesus. We want the good news of Jesus to be our native language. Some of you might have heard us use the term gospel fluency before. That's what we mean. This is what we mean. We want to become fluent in speaking the good news of Jesus into any and every situation that we find ourselves in. As we've said before many, many times, our life groups here at City Church are not primarily friend groups or Bible studies or interest-based groups or group counseling sessions. They are settings to remember and be reminded of the gospel. That's what they're about. Which means, and hear me out on this, in our groups when someone shares something, the most regular thing out of our mouths in response to what they share should not be, oh, you need to see my counselor, or oh, you need to learn about the Enneagram, or oh, let me give you some really good advice about that, or oh, let me help you with that even. Listen, all of those things can be great responses in certain settings, but the most regular thing out of our mouths in those settings should be let me remind you of who Jesus is and why that is good news for you. If sin is always the problem, then Jesus is always the solution. So we want to speak the good news of Jesus into people's lives more often than we speak anything else into their lives. That is what it means for us to be Jesus-centered. Jesus is our mantra. So there we have it. Three important things that it means for our church to be Jesus-centered. Jesus is our lead pastor. Jesus is our authority. And Jesus is our mantra. I'm sure there are plenty more things where those came from, but those are at least what it means for us to be Jesus-centered. So with all of that unpacked, here's where I want to go before we land things this morning. Everything I've just told you is about who we want to be, collectively, communally. We as a church family want to be Jesus-centered in these specific ways, which is great. And if I know us, uh, I think at least the vast majority of us are very on board with us becoming that together. I don't know that many of us are sitting back right now going, no, thank you. Get out of here with all that Jesus is the good news stuff. I'm not interested. I don't like that. I don't want us to become that. Hardly any of us at this point are responding that way. Most of us, at least those who have been around very long, are going, yes, I'm in. Let's be that. Let's become that. Let's be Jesus-centered as a church. So knowing that, here's where I want to push us just a little bit. Believe it or not, it is not enough for us to be Jesus-centered and for you to be a part of us. That's not enough. We also need you as an individual to be centered on Jesus. In fact, I would put it even a little bit stronger than that. For us collectively to be Jesus-centered as a church, you individually must be Jesus-centered. We cannot become something communally that we are not individually. So I've noticed just from my past decade in church world here in the States, where there are so many different 
types of churches and theological tribes, I've noticed that there's this weird phenomenon that happens in people. And it's where people start to draw their identity and, and even their sense of righteousness from what tribe they're a part of within evangelicalism. So, so people will go, well, I'm a part of a Reformed church, and they believe good things, so obviously I'm in a good place if I'm at a Reformed church. Or people go, well, well I'm at a church that actually cares about evangelism and reaching the lost, so obviously I'm at a good place because I'm at a church that's in a good place. Or, well, I'm at a church that actually doesn't hate the LGBTQ community, and so obviously I must be good if I'm a part of one of those churches. People will actually start to to make judgment calls on their own maturity or standing with God largely based on what church or tribe they're a part of. And, and that can happen all over the evangelical landscape, right? It can happen from the right or from the left. Self-righteousness and self-justification knows no bounds. Literally all of us can fall prey to it. But the problem with seeing ourselves that way, the problem with seeing our identity and our righteousness in that sort of way is this. That's not how God sees us. God does not look out across creation and go, oh, there's Kent. I'm not sure where his heart's at right now, but he's at a good church, so he's probably good. God does not save theological tribes or denominations or church approaches. God saves individuals. And he walks in relationships with individuals, and he wants to know individuals, and he cares about the hearts of individuals. That's how God operates. So I, I want to show you this as I can from maybe a, a somewhat odd passage, but it's one that just kept coming to mind to me over and over again over the past seven weeks. So this is Matthew 3. We'll put it up on the screen. We covered this, I think, a couple years back when we were walking through the early chapters of the book of Matthew. This is an interaction that John the Baptist has with a group of people who are inclined to see themselves by association with their group or their heritage or their theological tribe. And I want you to pay really careful attention to how John the Baptist responds to people that see themselves that way. It says, when he, that's John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, people who associated themselves with being theologically sound and theologically correct and a part of the right tribe, when he saw the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing people, and he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think to yourselves, notice this part, we have Abraham as our father. Don't say to yourselves, nah, we're, we're good because of our heritage and the group that we're a part of and the theological tribe that we belong to. We're set because we belong to that group. He says, do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So John the Baptist here is coming at us with a strong word against ever thinking that the group you're a part of makes you right with God. That's not how it works, he says. God does not do righteousness by group association. You're not right with him just because the group you're a part of believes right things or affirms good beliefs. You're right with him 
if your heart is right with him. If you walk with him day by day, not perfectly, but consistently. Don't say to yourself, well, I'm a part of a good church. I'm a part of a Jesus-centered church. Isn't that what matters? No, what matters is your heart. What God wants is your heart. God is able from a clump of rocks, he says, to raise up good churches for himself. The one thing only you can give God is your heart, your life, your all, and you're in luck because that is the one thing that God wants from each of us. So if I can just plead with you for a second. Whatever you do, please do not outsource your spiritual vitality to us. Please do not show up here on Sundays and maybe once a week to Life Group or something like Life Group and expect that to be all you need to walk in consistent relationship with God. It will not work that way. Listen, we're here to help. We're here to come alongside you. We're here to equip you. We're here to encourage you. We're here to help you learn what it looks like to follow Jesus. To, to use the cliche that we hear so often, we can lead you to the water, but we can't make you drink. And more importantly, a living relationship with God is so much better than a loose association with the church. Now, notice a living relationship with the true God will always lead you toward meaningful relationships with others in the church, but you can't replace a relationship with God with church. You can't operate as if church attendance is all that is needed for spiritual vitality. It simply will not work that way. And the reason I'm so passionate about this is because, to be honest with you, I'm really proud. I hope not in a sinful way, but I'm really proud. I'm really encouraged by the type of community God has made and created here at City Church. When I, when I look out and I see the way that you guys interact with one another in life groups and I see the way that you care for one another when people are hurting and the way that you follow Jesus together, to be honest, I'm really, really proud of it. Like I'm thankful each and every day for the type, the ethos of our community here at City Church. I'm so thankful for it. And so my deepest fear is that that we would look around and we would see all of that cool stuff happening and we'd be proud of it and we'd go look at the cool stuff God is doing at City Church and look how I'm a part of City Church and that we would completely overlook areas of our hearts that are not submitted to Jesus. And that goes bad really fast. And so listen, I'm so proud of who we are, of who we've become. I want to see us grow more and more for sure, but I'm really proud of who we've become. But I don't want that to become a cloak that we hide under to not submit our lives to Jesus fully. Because the type of church that is created when you have a room of people this size who are submitting their entire lives to Jesus, I'll go ahead and tell you, Satan's got nothing on that. And so I desperately want to make sure that it's not just that we are Jesus-centered, but that you are Jesus-centered, that I am Jesus-centered that we, day by day, at an individual level, are submitting our lives to the good news of Jesus. So let me just ask you, if I can, on that front, 
It's a difficult question to ask. I think it's a necessary question to ask. If you took gathering attendance on Sundays and life group attendance out of your life, would anything about your life look distinctly Christian? If you took those two things out of the equation, those things are great. You shouldn't take those functionally out of the equation. I'm saying evaluate your life and ask, if I remove those two things from the picture, is there anything about my life that is distinctly Christian? Would anything about your life look different than the average non-Christian at your school or at your job? Uh, aside from going to church things, are you, are you pursuing and taking responsibility for an ongoing relationship with God at a personal, individual level? Because without each of us doing that individually, we don't stand much of a chance at being that collectively. But if we can pursue that at an individual level, it will be unbelievable the amount of things that the Spirit can accomplish in and through us. So listen, last thing I'll say, lean in to the grace of God. At an individual level, not in theory, in practice. Lean into the grace of God. Don't just be around Jesus-centered people. Be a Jesus-centered person. Be a Jesus-centered person. Ground yourself daily in the realities of the good news that Jesus came to offer. Preach to yourself daily the incredible things that Jesus has accomplished on our behalf. Center your entire life on knowing and following Jesus into whatever he's got for you. Ask yourself, is Jesus my lead pastor? Do I allow him to walk with me and speak to me and shepherd me through the best and worst parts of my life? Ask yourself, is Jesus my authority? When he says something that I don't automatically agree with or I don't like or he asks something of me that I don't naturally want to give him, who gets the final say on that, me or him? Ask yourself, is Jesus my mantra is the first thing off of my lips towards other followers of Jesus the good news of Jesus? Or is it something far less than that? Ask yourself those questions at an individual level at least as often as you ask those questions about your church. You see, we can't be Jesus-centered unless you are Jesus-centered. For us to become that type of church, we need each of us to become that type of person. So I want to just land very last thing before we end with this passage from Colossians 2. I'm just going to read it. I'm going to let the Spirit do what he wants to do through it. I think this passage in Colossians 2, 6 and 7 sums this idea up well. And then we'll pray together. Same one we began with before I even got up here. Take a look with me on the screen. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. May it be so, church. Let's be Jesus-centered. Let's pray together. Father, We rejoice and we celebrate um, that you want to know us. Um, 
not just that you want us to do the right thing or to live a certain way. God, we, we give you thanks that you desire a living, breathing relationship with us. And so, God, uh, if there are people in this room that uh, don't have that yet, haven't experienced that reality yet, God, I want to ask, without apology, that you would draw them in. That you would speak to them loud and clear, that you desire to know them. And God, we, we thank you, too, that you desire for us to know you. Not just for us to know the, the caricature of you that we've built up in our head, not just to know the you that, that we wish you were or the way that we wish that you were. God, that you want us to know you in reality and in fullness. And not only that, but you want us to build our lives around you. And God, that when we do that, we come into contact with the truest thing in the universe. And we get to live into what you call eternal life. Not just in the future, not one day when we die, but starting in the here and now, we get to know you be known by you, which is eternal life. So God, would you help us this morning just at an individual level, if there are things that, uh, that we don't want to listen to you on, that we don't want you to walk with us through, if there are things that we don't want to submit to you and your good design, God, would you just help us see that we're only robbing ourselves, our own joy, our own fullness of joy. And God, would you help give us the courage, the desire, the confidence we need to live life in your kingdom. So God, whatever you need to do, however you need to move, whatever you need to speak, we ask that you do that. We ask that we would listen. It's in your name we pray.